0: This is Off Zero, brought to you by LearnBitcoin.io.
1: All right. Welcome to Off Zero, the new podcast from the team at LearnBitcoin.io, where any topic is welcome as long as it's Bitcoin. I'm your host, Keith Laska, and I'm joined today by Dennis Porter, CEO and co founder of the Satoshi Action Fund. Dennis, how are you, my friend?
0: Uh, I'm excellent. Uh, uh, it's a busy season, so I apologize if I've got baggy eyes, but uh, I'm having a lot of fun out there <laughs> fighting for Bitcoin. So uh, we we are running and gunning, and uh, glad to be on the show with you today, Keith, to talk about it.
1: That's awesome. I, um, I've i been following you uh, on X, and you are popping up in different locations all over the place, and I'm just so excited to yes. watch your progress as you're fighting for all of us out there. Um and so, Dennis, you know that uh, every guest gets uh, to pick a charity that LearnBitcoin.io donates to. And mm-hmm. I wanted to hand it over to you to tell us what charity you've picked.
0: Well, uh, I would have to say I'd be remiss if I didn't contribute to OpenSats. Uh, OpenSats is a great charity, helps support core devs. You know, a lot of the work that I do, a lot of the work that the people do to build uh, Bitcoin mining businesses, Bitcoin companies, none of it's really possible without the folks that are doing the uh, the very, very uh, underappreciated work of coding. Um, so
1: I appreciate the core devs and I would say give it all to them. That sounds awesome. We will make that donation on your behalf. Um, so welcome to the pod. We've met each other before. We know each other where uh, we've, we've talked back and forth a number of times. I, I'm so excited to have you on to talk to our listeners and really to uh, expand upon the opportunity we have with the Satoshi Action Fund and all the activity that you're working on at a state uh, and national level. You want to tell us a little bit about the Satoshi Action Fund? That would be really exciting to hear from you.
0: Yeah, happy to. So for those that don't know, uh, Satoshi Action Fund is a 501c4 nonprofit. It's an advocacy organization we launched in June of 2022 with the express intent of advocating for Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining at the state level. Uh, We predominantly focus on Bitcoin mining because we believe that Bitcoin mining can provide very unique and helpful benefits for energy systems. And we also view that Bitcoin mining was and did come under undue and unfair political attack And so I spend a lot of my time educating lawmakers and regulators on the benefits of this technology, which includes the ability to create rural jobs, local investment, grid stability, environmental cleanup, and the ability to enhance green and carbon-free energy projects. Everywhere we go, lawmakers love to hear the benefits of this technology. And oftentimes, after they learn about it, they're willing to help us pass protections to be able to safeguard the technology within the USA. So we were just in last year 2023 our very first legislative cycle at the state level we were able to pass two laws one was in montana and one was in arkansas that bill was called or dubbed the right to mine bill what it essentially did is it protected bitcoin miners from various forms of discrimination including zoning discrimination noise ordinance discrimination and rate discrimination uh, and ultimately it ensured that those those industries were able to grow the bitcoin mining industry was able to grow in those states um, since then we've launched a research arm as well called Satoshi Action Education, which works to produce academic works that we put through the peer review process and hopefully get them into the academic journals. Uh, and that's to ensure that we're not only just focusing on what we can do with policy, but we're actually expanding the Overton window of possibilities of policy as well by showing lawmakers and regulators that might be skeptical about some of the benefits that I just named off earlier that those benefits are indeed possible and are indeed happening in the real world today. So um, that's it in a nutshell. Could probably go a lot deeper on very specific items that we're working on. Um, Ultimately in 2024, we're gonna be continuing to pass the parts of our right to mine bill, except it's part of a larger piece of legislation now called the Blockchain Basics Act. It's also dubbed the Digital Bill of Rights. That bill goes beyond just protecting mining and it also protects your right to self custody. It protects your right to run a node and it ensures that you can buy, sell, trade, and sort of uh, self-custody and
1: hold uh, digital assets, but particularly Bitcoin is the focus. That's that's awesome. I want to unpack so much of this because you said a lot of really exciting stuff. Uh, let's start with this. I think a lot of people listening to this right now, particularly if you're somewhat new to Bitcoin or you're not familiar with mining, all they hear is that uh, it's super energy intensive and Uh, It's bad for the environment. I mean, I know through my research, it couldn't be more of the opposite, especially when you compare it to the U.S. national grid. But um, could you just explain to us where where you see the confusion came from with Bitcoin mining and this massive energy usage? And then what's kind of happening and how the mining industry is evolving over the past couple of years and where it's going?
0: Well, at, at the end of the day, it's really just a lack of understanding and misinformation around energy and the way our energy systems work before i started to uh, advocate on behalf of bitcoin and bitcoin mining i also sort of had misunderstandings of the way our energy systems work but after years of research and work to lead academic research on this specific subject i have learned quite a bit and i have learned also that the vast majority of the public including a lot of lawmakers don't understand exactly how our energy systems work so Whenever they see, oh, this thing is using, whether it be Bitcoin mining, it could be AI, uh, the thing that it's doing is irrelevant, but if it's using a ton of energy, then they are going to be concerned. Many people are going to be concerned about that energy consumption. The problem is that they look at it in a vacuum. They just look at how much energy is being used instead of looking at where that energy comes from and also participating and whether or not those miners are participating in any sort of grid balancing programs, ancillary service programs. Uh, So- Many people in the mining space and the Bitcoin space, they know and they've heard about this ability, uh, but many outside have not. And so we do need to do a greater job, better job of not only demystifying Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining for lawmakers and regulators, but we also need to help them to understand these benefits that are very clear and visible to folks that are close and near and dear to the space. But to the people on the outside, it's not so clear. And that's why the work of educating lawmakers is so important. Uh, that's why producing peer-reviewed research to support these claims is so critical, and that's why Satoshi Action Fund and Satoshi Action Education exist to help provide that clarity on this important issue.
1: That's awesome. And you also mentioned a couple of other words that are particularly important to me. It's the right uh, to your privacy and the right to self-custody. Um, I think if if people aren't careful and they don't understand what's happening potentially at Capitol Hill, we could see a situation where... Uh, you know, in the worst case scenario, self custody—the ability to hold your own Bitcoin—could um, be severely restricted through a variety of mechanisms and means. Um, why do you think that's important? The ability to to hold on to our our control over money.
0: I mean, it's the same exact reason why people want to store some cash or some gold at their home. Um, it's a true autonomy and independence. Over your money. If you're forced to put it into a bank, if you're forced to hold your Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, you you never really truly own Bitcoin. You own an, an IOU. Now, legally speaking, you could say that you own it. But unfortunately, in the world of, of Bitcoin, once the Bitcoin has been hacked or taken off the exchange, it's nearly impossible to get it back. Um, very difficult to get it back, in fact. Um, whereas in the fiat system, that's that's different. You know, you wake up, you get an alert on your phone that someone's hacking into your your bank account, and then they're able to stop that transaction and reverse it. You can't. That's not quite as possible with Bitcoin, and so it's much more important than ever. Um, even more important than um, with some digital currencies, to make sure that we are protecting self custody, making sure that we protect the ability for folks to be able to control their assets, control um, their destiny, control their future. Now, I have no problem if people want to hold their, you know, go ahead, hold it wherever you want, however you want. But we should have the freedom and the optionality to do that. And folks like Elizabeth Warren currently attacking Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, trying to backdoor ban the, the ability to self-custody is something that we are aggressively trying to pursue um, by making sure that she cannot do that by going to the states and passing these laws to protect self-custody. Um, hopefully, then at the end of the day, the 10th Amendment will protect those states Whereas the federal government cannot force those states to enforce federal policy, I was a lot. I said a lot there, but ultimately, at the end of the day, our goal is to stop Elizabeth Warren from uh, taking away your right to self custody.
1: And so, why? And there are others. It, 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 you know, Elizabeth Warren seems to be leading the pack there, but there are others who kind of feel similarly to her. What, what's, what's driving that? I mean, they, they're involved. They, they trade. You know, stocks. They they understand how the markets operate. They they own homes. They own cars. They understand the value of owning something themselves. They certainly have, you know, no issues around net worth, as we've seen as well. What um what, what's dry? What's really driving that that concern over Bitcoin? Do you think at a legislative level?
0: Well, for me, I I try not to assume what people's motives are when I see the actions. But it's, it's really difficult not to come to the conclusion that there is some sort of political motivation around suppressing the ability for Bitcoiners and really all digital asset folks to be able to custody their own um, Bitcoin and to custody their own crypto or whatever it is that they use. I firmly believe that whatever digital currency you use, that you should have the right to self-custody that, that digital asset. And so... Uh, again, I, going back to that question of why it's happening, it's really hard to know um, unless they were to tell us themselves. But we do know that Elizabeth Warren has told us that she views it as a risk as a, and as a threat. Um, why she views it that way and how she came to that conclusion is very difficult to know, other than most likely it is people on her own team that are telling her that this is the right direction to go.
1: Interesting. When you speak, when you first connect with a, a legislator or a lawmaker, either at a state or, or a federal level, and they look perplexed when you ask them about Bitcoin, what, what are the one or two things that you think they're confused about? And how do you end up dispelling that myth with Bitcoin? If you were speaking to lawmakers and legislators today, right now on this pod, uh, you know how can you just take out the top two objections or confusion points around Bitcoin?
0: I think the biggest one is for us, at least, you know, some people might disagree with me on this, but I don't think that Bitcoin is going to destroy the dollar or is going to, you know, remove all government currencies overnight. Um, even if that were to happen, it would be a very slow process. Unless, of course, you see some like, cat you know, sort of runaway black swan events, right, which are, which are unpredictable events that we can't um, see on the horizon. Outside of that, um, that's that is one of the big concerns of lawmakers, that where they believe that you know maybe this is a threat to the dollar, and I don't really see it that way. I think it's a threat to uh, the monopoly over money, and it's a threat to the control that that monopoly gives. And so it is disruptive, but it is not destructive. I hope that was uh, was clear. Bitcoin is disruptive to banking. It is disruptive to money. It is disruptive to payment networks. But in no way is it destructive. It is not here to destroy anything. In fact, I think that we have a world on the other side of Bitcoin adoption where the people that control the fiat money printers become extremely responsible with the way that they manage those monetary supplies because they will have now for the first time ever, uh, people have access to another option and people can choose to opt out. And so if, if you're not careful, then... Everyone may end up opting out and that can lead to people leaving the currency and losing va- and losing value. And I don't think it'll get that far. I think inevitably Bitcoin acts as a check against that power, that money printing power and um, checks and balances are always good things and they are a big part of why America has been successful in the past. And I think that Bitcoin will be a big part of that uh, success in the future as well. That's one. That's one issue that I think that comes up quite a bit. Um, is that that sort of competition over the money? Uh, the the other one is on the the energy side of things. I mean, that's really common misunderstanding misconception that Bitcoin uses too much energy. It's bad for the grid. It's you know it's bad for the environment. When really quite the opposite is true. And so we spend a lot of time. You know, there's not there's no one line that you can say uh, to get a lawmaker to understand the value of the technology. But you usually do have a very very short window where you get an opportunity to provide education. And so when we do that, we spend quite a bit of rapid time, um, mostly talking about the benefits. You know, people get, people think that I'm uh, orange pilling every single one of these elected officials. Uh, I wish I was that magical. uh, When in fact, what I'm doing is we are going in and we're sharing the benefits and getting them on board with what this technology can offer to their state. And then of course, in the future, if they want to lean in more into the technology, we're there and ready and willing to help them dive deeper. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to make sure that United States is the best place in the world to be a Bitcoiner
1: and a Bitcoin miner,
0: and that is under threat at the federal level. And we want to make sure that those rights are secured at the state level.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I uh, I had uh, Peter Saint Ange on on this pod a number of weeks ago, and uh, we both had this discussion around the fact that we're ardent Americans. We are steadfast Americans. We love America, but Bitcoin is a vote, and it's an important vote. Uh, basically you know, telling the government that you need to be more fiscally responsible. Uh, you need to give us control back of our own money. Um, you need to stop uh, inflating away our lives and our value and, and, and you know, our, our kids' uh, uh, legacy and all of this kind of stuff. But we we do agree that, like, we, you know, we love America. It's just that America is going to wake up and hurry up and start to catch up with the times a little bit, Um and to your point around getting it, like I always, there's a funny meme that, that kicks around Twitter, which is like Neo finally gets it, you know, with Bitcoin. But it is kind of like that because it can take you an hour or two of discussion with somebody before it finally pops in your head. And then all of a sudden, you know, like getting plugged back into the matrix or being pulled out of the matrix, it all makes sense again. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and so education, you spend an awful lot of time educating lawmakers, policymakers, general public, uh, not just on what you do, uh, on Bitcoin as well. Education's pretty lacking here, and this is in no way a pitch for for what we do, but it's just pretty poor. It's bad. Um, How do you think the education industry is going to evolve over time? I mean, is it going to be constantly, you know, everybody who's selling whatever they have is building out education, or are there going to be 10 LearnBitcoin.io's hopefully out in the future? What do you, how do you think that's going to evolve?
0: You know, Bitcoin education has always been fairly decentralized to a certain degree. So I think that that process will be maintained and that you will see a continuation of that education take place through a variety of different programs and platforms. But it's a great area of, of opportunity. I don't think very many people have... Um, built educational products as sophisticated as maybe Learn um, or others might might be trying to pursue, um, and that there's a great opportunity there to, to capture a good part of that marketplace. I think one of the areas that I'm most interested in seeing Bitcoin education expand is at the university level and seeing it actually make it into uh, the, the courses there. Recently, I, I taught a short lecture on on the benefits of Bitcoin at the University of Mississippi Law School. And I would love to see a lot more you know, education like that take place at the university level. That's where we're going to win over the next generation. And I believe that it's in our best interest to start that education as early and as often as possible.
1: I'd love to have you in my Fordham classes as well. If you'd, if you'd be interested in joining, that would be awesome. Um, of course. So if you were to paint a crystal ball, I everybody's going to probably want to know the answer, at least your point of view on this question. If you were to to paint a crystal ball five years out on what Bitcoin and crypto legislation would look like, um, you know, b- b- take, that, take that paintbrush out and kind of show us a couple of uh, swipes on the canvas. Is it a new agency responsible for up to a $10 trillion asset? Is it uh, laws and regulation within the existing structure that we have? And note we've got what? Three financial organizations, up to five, if you're, uh, you know, managing investments in this country. Um, what, what is it? What, in your mind, what's it going to look like?
0: That's a fantastic question. I'm glad you asked it because I do have very strong visions of what I'd love to see happen in the future. But it's not at the federal level that I'm so concerned. Ultimately, there will be federal policy that comes down that creates broad-ranging, uh, you know, regulatory structures and guardrails for the crypto industry writ large. But what I'm most interested in is at the state level, where not only we can pass protections to protect your fundamental rights as a Bitcoiner, we can also work hand in hand with utilities and with public utility commissions, which are the regulator of energy at the state level, develop very specific energy programs that encourage Bitcoin miners to participate in the grid. Texas didn't happen by accident. And also, Bitcoin miners didn't go into Texas to change those laws and develop those programs. Those th- those programs that Bitcoin miners are participating in in ERCOT preexisted the adoption of Bitcoin mining in the state. So mm-hmm. what I would love to see is other states adopt that same type of approach to energy. Now, I don't expect them to adopt All components of ERCOT. ERCOT can be a little bit messy, and there's some things that you do not want to export from that grid to the rest of the nation. But there is a lot of items with regards to grid balancing that I do believe that we should export to the rest of the country. You know, we want to take what are the good policies, what are the good energy regulations, and apply them in areas where it makes the most sense. And in areas that it makes the most sense is okay. We are seeing increased weather volatility, and we need to be making sure that our grids are more resilient than ever. And the one way that we can do that the most effectively and for the lowest cost is to provide industrial-scale demand response programs, where Bitcoin miners and any large load can come in and they can say, hey, is it a winter storm? Is it a heat wave? I'm here, I'm ready, and I'm willing to deliver all of my energy back to the grid during those moments. And that's a critical service that can be provided. Some states already have programs that allow this beyond outside ERCOT, so it's not something that's completely siloed within Texas. We need to see the expansion of those programs across the country so that all Americans can benefit from the downward pressure on rates that are provided through these programs, because the alternative is to build more infrastructure. You have to build more energy infrastructure to balance the grid if you don't ask for a load to shut down and curtail. And generally, that means that you're building peaker plants. Peaker plants are the most carbon intensive, most expensive per megawatt generation that you can possibly build. And so, if you're asking me, should we follow that path where we are building more peaker plants and we are burning more fossil fuels just for the sake of balancing the grid a few days, a few times a, a year, maybe even in some places? I think that's a very, very poor strategy. I think we should be doing everything we can to safely and sustainably and economically export these programs that worked very effectively during Winter Storm Elliot to help save lives and to help save uh, the grid there and to keep people warm in that winter storm. I think we could export those to the rest of the country. And see quite a bit of success take place. So, but that's a slow process. Energy, utility folks—they're all very small C conservative, and I, I just mean they are slow moving with their actions in the policy realm, and, and for good reason. Because if you make a wrong step, you know, at, you know, and you cause the grid to collapse, at best you're you know making everybody's food go bad, and at worst people are dying. So you have to be very damn that.
1: But that's why it's going to take you know could take five years to see a lot of this stuff take place. That's so interesting. That's really, really interesting. What are the different types of Bitcoin energy that Bitcoin uh, mining uses? I mean, obviously I've, I've heard about a whole bunch, but just walk us through some of the creative ways that people are choosing to mine for Bitcoin right now that you've seen.
0: The one, I mean, there's obvious ones, right? You've got grid connection and then you've got people that are you know, geolocating or co- what they call co-locating directly next to wind farms and solar farms. That's a, it's a more recent... Form of Bitcoin mining. And then you also have uh, the, a, a less counterintuitive, or I should say, a more counterintuitive uh, form of energy is uh, from methane. So methane is a greenhouse gas that is 84 times worse than CO2 over a 20 year period and um, 25 times worse over a 100 year period. It's uh, It's much more potent than carbon for warming the planet. And so there's a lot of strong efforts to try to mitigate methane. Well, fortunately, methane is a combustible gas. And you can light it on fire uh, with, or you can put it through a generator and generate electricity with that fuel source and then use that, that electricity that you've just generated from a methane gas to be able to power a Bitcoin mining operation. And in fact, Satoshi Action Fund has recently finished our first draft on, on a paper that shows the potential
1: for Bitcoin mining as a tool to mitigate landfill gas emissions. That's absolutely remarkable. That's really interesting. How do, uh, do these miners, because a number of these miners are, are public companies. Um, and when you ask them, just going back to your other, other comment, when you ask them to kind of redirect their energy uh, over to help, you know, Texas, for example, in times of emergency or other states in times of emergency, I wonder, I don't know if there's an answer to this, I wonder how they kind of settle that since they're a public company and they've actually lost. Income for a day or a couple of days, but I guess that's probably an agreement they make with, with the governor or or, or the government uh, in place at a state level.
0: So there's two reasons why a miner will curtail their energy consumption. Um, one is because of the exposure to price. Uh, you know, roughly, I, th- I I can't look. I'd have to look at the charts uh, to update myself. But the break-even price for Bitcoin mining operations, which means that if energy gets too expensive. Then it's no longer economical to mine Bitcoin. That break-even price is has floated around the seventy to eighty m- megawatt range. Um, it's gone higher, it's gone lower. But during winter storms and during heat waves, you know, the price of energy spikes. It can go into the hundreds of megawatts. It's even in some energy systems, it goes into the thousands. So you, you don't want to mine Bitcoin during that time period. So you're automatically you know, taking yourself out of the system because you have an economic incentive to do so. The, the second type of um, primary, what, what I would call um, curtailment or form of curtailment is when you sign up for a rate or a grid balancing program where you are receive some sort of incentive and what you're, they force you to do or they, what you're required to do, under, unless you want to face a penalty, is you have to curtail your energy consumption when the grid tells you. So that that is probably almost simultaneous to when energy prices are going up. Because when energy prices are going up, that's when there's high demand, and that's when grid operators need load to curtail. But you, usually, that's that works through your, um, you know, your grid operator. So, like an ERCOT would ask you to shut down or curtail, or could work through directly through your utility, where you'll you'll get notices. And if people look back, just like not that long ago, I, I was reporting on this on my Twitter, where during the jan- month of January there was a significant amount of uh, winter storms across the entire country. And I started to get reports that miners were curtailing, and so I just said, you know, hey, send me your send me your notices that you're getting. Let's let's show the public what this looks like a little bit. So we did get a lot of miners sending us the notices they'll get from their local utility asking them to shut down. Um, and it was very it was really you know fun coverage to be able to show people that this is something that's actually taking place. This is not just some you know fairyland idea that we what we that we hope Bitcoin mining will do. It is something that's happening right now across the entire country.
1: What, what are the best resources that you've found to learn more about Bitcoin mining? For people who are listening to this right now, clearly amazed and impressed with your level of knowledge on all of this, where, where would you point them to, to try to find out more about mining?
0: You know, there's, there's some really great educators in the space. Uh, Sean Connell, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring him up. You know, he, he taught me a lot of what I know about power markets. He's excellent when it comes to explaining how these grid balancing programs work, especially from an economical perspective and why they're so valuable. Um you know really I would say you know follow anybody in the space who has a tendency to be more on the energy side before they were on the bitcoin mining side and mm-hmm. you can usually get some some very very good information but yeah go there's the the reason why I say Sean too is because he also was on um quite a few podcasts out there where he was able to educate on on the benefits of the technology and and how bitcoin mining can participate in the grid. And um I, one thing I'd also like to bring up too is at Satoshi action we don't want to just you know tell a news story or show some curtailment notices that miners got we recently in response to the eia requests emergency order requests for Bitcoin mining data said you know hey you can fight this thing you cannot fight it that's not going to be the battle that we get involved in but what we want to do is Regardless of whether or not this information gets pulled in and requested by the federal government, we want to ensure that miners can paint the entire picture, the whole story. And so just before that emergency order came out, Satoshi Action had been working diligently to put together a survey of our own. And that survey is a curtailment survey. It's a grid balancing survey. We ask all the miners that we get in in touch with. We say, hey, can you please respond and report to the survey and let us know how many days, how many megawatt hours, how many megawatts? That you provided back to the grid during the month of January because in the month of January as I mentioned earlier there is quite a bit of curtailment that had to take place due to those winter storms I mean we all got I don't know about you but uh, we all, we all got hit pretty hard by that winter storm we had ice storms here in Oregon and so miners across the country are shutting down they collected that data and now they're delivering that data to us we have over 400 megawatts of mining operations which have reported their curtailment in the month of January to us um, last I checked, could be higher now. We have a lot of folks that are have committed to responding. Um, we've got several publicly traded mining companies which have already responded, and we're looking to expand that. And ultimately, what we want to do is take that data, share it, like de anonymize it, right, just to be clear, de-identify it, but share it with the public so that they can see just how much time is spent curtailing the grid uh, These that these Bitcoin miners are participating in. I think it's a really important piece of information to share because it really cuts down – all of this criticism that is taking place across the country and helps people to understand the value of of Bitcoin mining as an energy, as a piece of energy infrastructure, essentially.
1: That is awesome. So uh, before we close out, I have got to give you the LearnBitcoin.io soapbox. It's called the call to action. You get 30 seconds basically to tell the world, if you could speak to the entire world in the next 30 seconds, what would you tell them to do? What would be your call to action?
0: I think that one of the most important things that people can do today is to build a Bitcoin business. I think that in order for me to be successful and in order for others to be successful in advocating for this technology to lawmakers, one of the most important things that you can do is create economic value. Because in the United States, creating economic value, which also creates tax revenue, is a huge sticking point for lawmakers and regulators, especially at the state level. So, I highly encourage people to go out and build a Bitcoin business so that I can do a much better job of advocating on your behalf and providing real results and a compelling argument for why the United States needs to lead on this technology.
1: Amazing. Uh, good friend, Dennis Porter, thanks so much for joining us at learnbitcoin.io's Off Zero podcast. We're all rooting for you. We're all supporting uh, you. And I would say to anybody listening now or watching now, please go over to SatoshiAction.io. You can donate there. Uh, Dennis and the entire team there are working diligently uh, night after night, day after day to protect your rights in this country. So if you can, we have donated and we will continue to donate as LearnBitcoin.io. Please do uh, just take out some spare change, some SATs. Bitcoin will take anything. uh, Get over there and donate to Satoshi Action Fund. Dennis, as always, thanks so much, my friend. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Keith. It's great to be on.
0: Learn more at learnbitcoin.io.